who, in your mind, who's the starting other guard? First of all, did you say Obre Jr.? Come on, bro. It's Obre Jr. Man, get it together. First of all, you got to get the names right. Okay. You get your names right say. for all these stats well, you do? first you of all, right? you know, Anthony wants the big, everyone's got the big three. Anthony wants, like, the big ten. <laughs> five. Five would do. Just give me a starting five. What do you, what do you think, like, Okay, you know? okay. All right, stop the shenanigans. <laughs> all of a sudden. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Matter of Stats podcast. Myself and Kobe with you tonight. Billy's got the night off. Uh, Kobe, what's up? What's happening? I'm ready to rock and roll. All right. Let's jump right in with this week's sports headlines. Uh, In case you haven't noticed, the NBA playoffs have begun, sadly, without our Los Angeles Lakers. But nonetheless, they're going to do the playoffs anyways, believe it or not. So, you know, we'll comment on that later. Um, Errol Spence Jr. became a three-belt welterweight champion over the weekend by defeating Jordanis Ugas. Also, after a one-and-two start, the Dodgers now find themselves winners of seven straight games and tied for first place. And Derek Carr signed a three-year, $121 million extension last week making him one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. Got any feedback? Uh, yeah, yeah. I just, I want to say, you know, uh, I'm, uh, I'm happy for Errol Spence Jr., man. Shout out to that guy. Uh, you know, he just captured the WBA super welterweight belt uh, just two fights after literally almost killing himself at, at the end of 2019. He, uh, he flipped his Ferrari and was ejected from it and uh, ended up in the ICU. And uh, now here he is, uh, still one of the best fighters on the planet. And uh, he took literally no tune-up fights after the accident. He, he, he missed a, a, a long stretch there, and he went straight into Danny Garcia, who was a former WBC champion himself and one of the best boxers in the division just a few years prior. So it's, it's really uh, remarkable what Spence is doing. And now, you know, everyone can't wait to see, you know, Errol Spence Jr. versus Terrence Crawford because Crawford has the last remaining belt that uh, Errol doesn't have. Uh, the last belt of the major sanctioning bodies um, in the welterweight division. Well, just period. Uh, so that'll be big. Er- Errol would be only the seventh fighter in history to be undisputed, uh, to be an undisputed champion in boxing, um, which is holding all four belts from all of the major sanctioning bodies in a specific weight class. So. Uh, When that fight happens, we will definitely have a whole segment dedicated to it here on the Matter of Stats podcast. Uh, Errol Spence Jr. versus Terrence Crawford. That's probably the biggest fight in boxing uh, that can can happen. Now, did I, correct me if I'm wrong, but did I see that Crawford even tweeted something that night? He did. He did. I think he tweeted something along the lines of uh, keep, keep my belt keep my belts warm for me, you know, cause he's going to come after them. And, uh, Terrence Crawford, like I just mentioned a second ago, uh, Errol Spence would be only the seventh boxer in history to be an undisputed champion. Terrence Crawford actually has already been an undisputed champion in, mm. in the light, in the light, uh, weight division. Um, so he, he already has had all four belts in the division for himself. Um, Terrence Crawford is, he's moved up 
you know, recently into the welterweight division. And but this is this is where Errol Spence lives. This is where some of the best fighters have ever fought. Manny Pacquiao, Mayweather. These guys are all welterweight. So um, Terrence Crawford only has one belt in this division. And uh, I have my money on Errol Spence, to be quite honest with you. So Now, let me ask you a question as you know, as our boxing aficionado. Do you is it a big deal to you when the belts aren't married? Does that does it does it matter either way? Well, it's it's really hard to um you know, it's really hard to get all four. That's why only seven boxers in the history of boxing have ever had all four at once. Because it's just, you know, the, the you know, the the belts are spread out. They're all over the place, uh, all over the world. Uh, any, any, any boxer from any country can hold a belt from any sanctioning body. And then just when you think like maybe uh, one champion is going to face another, maybe two belt champion, that two belt champion might lose one of those belts or might lose both belts to some up and coming fighter out of nowhere, you know, and then mm. all of a sudden those plans get derailed. So it's really hard to get it to the point where it lines up where somebody has all four. I think that's where the main issue uh, comes into play is that it's just hard to get it, to get the stars to align uh, for one guy to have all four belts because, you know, the, the belts can change hands so quickly. Um, kind of like what happened to um, uh, Anthony Joshua a couple years back when he lost the belts to uh, Andy Ruiz, who Andy Ruiz came out of nowhere. And everyone was like, Anthony Joshua is going to fight Deontay Wilder. It's going to be the biggest match. At that time, it was like the biggest match you could make in boxing. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen because, you know, the Joshua ended up dropping the belts to to uh, Andy Ruiz, who was kind of out of, out of nowhere. You know, he had a great record and was a great fighter, but he wasn't really on that plateau with all the top heavyweights. But he stunned Joshua and took the belts from him, and, and that fight between Joshua and Deontay Wilder never got made. So it's just really hard to get all all four belts in the same match. And most recently, Canelo did it by beating Caleb Plant, took the last belt in the division, and, uh, and Canelo became the undisputed champion of the super middleweight division, I believe it was. Okay. Well, and but so regardless of, you know, how difficult it is to get the belts, this fight uh, with Crawford would figure to be a great matchup either way, right? Absolutely. Probably uh, one of the best in the welterweight division, maybe ever. Like wow. this, this fight would be legendary. So yeah, that's why I'm saying we would have to have like a segment dedicated to, to that fight. So. Well, we will certainly look forward to that. And as Kobe said, we'll certainly look forward to uh, bringing, bringing a nice special pod together uh, just for that uh, bout. And then, and then as far as uh, what else is going on in your sports uh, highlights, NBA playoffs have started. You know, you said that. And one thing is clear. I just got to say, Brandon Ingram has arrived. Yes. Our former number two pick for the Los Angeles Lakers that we traded away to get AD. Okay. Okay. And got a championship. So, you know, do you, you pay, you pay the price of admission and <laughs> sometimes you don't, you don't want to go to that party that you don't have to go to that party, but a championship is nothing to take lightly. And I know a lot of Laker fans love to sit there and watch the playoffs here going like, look at Brandon Ingram, look at D'Angelo Russell, look at Larry Nance. Yeah, that's great. But we still got a championship out of it and you can't, well, well, can't well, trade that. You can't trade that in. A championship is always worth it. Yeah, I, I, I know. Like your boy Brian, Brian Winhorse likes to say, uh, you know, winning a championship means you never have to say you're sorry. I get it. I get it. 
and, and, and you didn't even let me finish. But the whole thing with Brandon Ingram was that not that he arrived to the playoffs. I was just saying that he has arrived on, you know, the NBA uh, field because he is literally being double teamed every time now by the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix Suns are double teaming him every time down the court right now. And that's how you know a guy has arrived because, you know, they don't they don't double team the bad ones. They only double team the good ones, the great ones, yes. the, the stars. So <laughs> yes, but it's it's but it's also process of elimination. The Pelicans only have two guys that are going to put the ball in the basket. And yeah. CJ McCollum's a nice player, but he's also small. And the Phoenix Suns, one of their strengths is their length on defense. Everybody is, you know, almost everybody on that roster is like six, seven, or up. So you double team Ingram. You have one guy with size on CJ, and then who's going to score? Well, you got, who's going to put the ball in the basket? Well, you you got guys that can put put the ball in the basket. You got Devontae Graham, which he wasn't good in this last game, but he's been uh, you know known to put the ball in the basket. From yeah, start, okay, from start yeah, game. but you're going to take you got, you're going to take you your chances with Devontae you got, Graham. You got Valanciunas who had a horrible game one, so I mean there, there's guys that can still play ball on the Pelicans, and that was just a bad game. I don't think the Pelicans were ready for that. Um, you know, they, they, yeah, it was, it, it was a tough game one for them. They, they, they got blindsided by a much better team than them. Uh, obviously Phoenix is number one. They're the eighth seed on the West. And, you know, I think they make the adjustments tonight and we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm excited to see, you know, we're, we're not going to probably put this pot out till after the game or maybe even tomorrow morning. So, you know, time will tell, uh, if the Pelicans, uh, split, split the, uh, home court advantage on the Suns one, one, we'll see. Well, I picked the Suns in five, so. <laughs> okay. At least you gave us a game. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty hard to, I mean, it's pretty hard to sweep in the playoffs now. Almost everybody, you know, wins a game. But it, it's funny, you know, we'll just, you know, we'll just kind of roll with this uh, uh, NBA, you know, playoff topic right now, which we were going to discuss anyways. You know, what I noticed, one takeaway, and you, you tell me what you think. And it's and it's pretty clear every year, but this year it just feels like it doubles down on what we've seen the last few years. It just feels like if you the formula in the playoffs now, obviously we know stars win, but independent of that, you have to have stars. But once you get your stars, you have a team that is constructed of guys that can switch everything on defense and shoot threes. It, it's it's like you can't run in the race. Like it's really hard to compete because every team makes threes and every team wants to be versatile on defense. Everybody's six, eight. If you don't have that type of a team, that's why the Suns are so good. That's why the Warriors are interesting. That's why every team is built that way. And every game is played that way. You know, you you, correct me if I'm wrong or, or disagree with me if you like, but that's the formula. If you don't, if you can't fit in that mold, it's hard to win. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and you know, we heard a lot about this the past couple of weeks, you know, about uh, some of the uh, some of the execs around the league thinking that, you know, the days of the big three or, you know, the three stars that, that might be behind us uh, uh, because of what happened to us this year, you know, with with Russ, AD and LeBron. So, mm-hmm. um, you know. Because at this point now, someone is clearly going to win the championship with only two stars or maybe just one star or one and a half stars or whatever. So. Right. Um, you know, again, that, that is kind of the way the league is going. It's one star or maybe two stars and a three and D guy, or, you know, so I would prefer a more well-balanced attack and teams that can, uh, you know, be more well-rounded. 
I think you're right. And you saw that a few years back, right? We had our dynamic duo. The Clippers had their dynamic duo, et cetera. So I think, and then the last couple of years, you know, teams have tried the big three. Brooklyn tried it, right? Um, You know, we tried it, uh, you know, and it it hasn't worked. So I think you're right. I think you're going to see more of going back to the dynamic duo and the versatility of you got to have wings you got to have three and D guys. you got to be able to shoot the three, you know, if the first, the first two games of the warrior series, I know a lot of people are raving about, you know, the warriors three guard lineup with pool and Steph and clay. And that works because they all shoot the three and pool and clay are big. They're not little guards. Those they're six, 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 seven. So it, it makes a big difference if you've got, you know, size and the Warriors are one of those teams that literally switch everything on defense. Yeah. So I just think that's how you have to be able to play. And if you don't have wings that can do that, you have to fill your team with that. And that was, of course, one of our problems is we were just, you know, we were just too guard heavy. We had too many guards that were, you know, six, two, six, three, and not enough, you know, wings that could, where you could really adequately switch on defense, but. Ah, just just another point that I would like to throw in that I had made at the beginning before the season started. I think it was like episode four or five when I was like, we are too guard heavy. And you and Billy were like, well, there's no big men's left. And I think there was, um, uh, what was his face? Uh, Paul Millsap. I was like, can we go get Paul Millsap? And you're like, yeah, I don't know if we need really need Paul Millsap. He's got miles on him. And yeah, I don't know if Paul Millsap would have helped. And you're right. We were we were too guard heavy. And and I, I thought in particular that we needed more small forwards. And we didn't address that. And part of the problem, of course, is some of the guys just didn't work. Like Baysmore, you know, was supposed to be one of those guys that was supposed to be a three and D wing, but it just didn't work out. You know, so there were a couple guys that we were hoping were going to fill that void, but didn't fill that void. So, yeah, it's interesting, too, because, you know, you talk about the way the playoffs are and, you know, the, the way all these teams are built. It, it brings me to something else I wanted to bring up about, you know, the Lakers, of course, Um Obviously, there's going to be changes this offseason, but what do you think is the biggest need? Like, what's the number one priority that this team has to fix? But besides the coach, obviously, but player from, from a player standpoint. I just feel like the Lakers need to go younger and we need to pick up defenders. Uh, ideally, we would want some 3 and D guys, but obviously that's like the most coveted position in basketball right now. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know how many of those guys are actually out there or available. You probably do, but... Clearly, this roster of older scorers uh, did not work this season. So yeah. that that's what I think. I think we need younger defenders, ideally three guys. So you would so you would be okay with guys that could defend, and even if they're not good three point shooters. Yes. Uh, well, hold on. I said ideally we would we would want three and D guys. Oh uh, yes, yes. I know. I know. Ideally, but I'm saying your, your initial point and, and was particularly guys that can defend. Now, the only reason I say that is because we're probably not going to unload all of our offensive, you know, firepower. So we'll still have some of it, but it just can't like overwhelm our team. Like, like the Lakers cannot have nothing, but you know, these scores, but they're all, you know, knocking forties door down, you know? Yes. Yes. And I almost chuckle when you say offensive firepower, cause I'm like, who? <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess if you think about like, yeah, how we, how <laughs> what we offensive fire season, or that we anticipated. Yes. 
Um, so that's what I would say. Yeah, no, and I think you're right. I know that you have been on the the too old bandwagon from day one. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, clearly the Lakers are going to address that. And yes, you, you got to have defenders. You got to have three point shooters. I think it just comes down to the wings. If you have, we just need, it sounds, you know, silly, but it's like, we just need a bunch of guys that are six, eight. I, I know it sounds just like, okay, whatever. But I mean, seriously, that's what we didn't have. We need a bunch of guys that are legitimate wings that can play, you know, the three, the four, you know, that could be a big two so that you can do whatever you want offensively and defensively. So you don't have to worry about, you know, those pick and rolls where, you know, now you've got a six, three Avery Bradley garden, a seven, four Porzingis, and you don't have those, you know, kind of mismatch mistakes. You got to have more guys that can do that. And if you've got guys that are six, eight, it makes a big difference. Your, uh, now, your, your Covingtons and those kind of guys. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to get Covington, but I think he's going to cost too much. There are some, I think if you're looking a little bit cheaper, there's, there's some old, some young, you could like, like say Thaddeus young, for example, in Toronto right now, he's a little bit older. He's 33, but he might be a guy you can get on a vet min. Yeah. Um, I like that that young, like your boy Shannon Sharp. Yeah. Thad young. I think like a Kyle Anderson in Memphis, he, you know, he doesn't, he only plays about 17 minutes for them off the bench. He's going to be a free agent. He's, he's 28 years old, but he's a perfect example of what you want. Six, eight. He's a three and D guy, not an elite three point shooter, but he's good defensively. He can shoot the three and he gives you that size. So there's those type of guys out there. Covington's on the list, but I think he'll cost too much. The Clippers will, will obviously probably try to keep him, but he'll cost too much, but there are, you know, some of those guys, maybe you take a flyer on a TJ Warren. He's not really a, a great defender, but he's another guy that's, you know, six, eight, six, nine, that can score. So there are going to be some, you know, options out there. DiVincenzo is another guy. He's a little undersized and I think six, five, but yeah. he's a three and D type guy. So there, there, there are going to be options, but that's why I like, you know, I like the, the, um, Indiana Pacers, you know, potential rumor, because I think that would make a lot of sense to bring in Brogdon and Buddy Heald, because now you got two guys that are 28 years old, can defend a little bit, can shoot the three. Brogdon's a smart player. That would get us younger. Why are you saying it like that? It's not Brogdon, it's Malcolm Brogdon. No, whatever. I know, you know, whatever. I can spell it. We haven't had one of those in a minute. We haven't mispronounced somebody's name in a minute. I know you got to jump all over that, don't you? Malcolm Brogdon. It's very simple. Yeah, Brogdon. Like, come but on. I just think that makes more sense than like the Hornets, you know, potential scenario getting a guy like Gordon Hayward who's older. I did read something. I think I shared this with you the other night. I did read a potential. I think it might have been Mark Stein or somebody was floating it out the idea out there that you know if the Jazz you know, lose again in the first or second round this year, which they will, that they could probably break a few things up and yeah, maybe, maybe like, that. yeah. I mean, we all knew like, that. If we could trade THT to the Knicks to get Cam Reddish, I would do that all day. Yeah. I like Cam Reddish too. Um, yeah. One of my former Dukies right there, Cam yep. Reddish. Uh, uh, yeah, he's got that size, that length. I think mm-hmm. he needs an opportunity to, to just, you know, explode. Kind of like a, kind of like Malik Monk. He he really wasn't getting the opportunity in 
in Charlotte. And, you know, yeah. we brought him here. We took him on a flyer and he just did his thing. So maybe that could be something that uh, that happens with Cam Reddish. That would be that would be cool. I'd like to see Cam Reddish here. No, I would. That would be one of the guys that I would target. Obviously, the Lakers were interested in him earlier in the season that, you know, they tried to get him before he was traded to the Knicks. But I think if you could if you could get him, I would definitely get him. And he wouldn't cost a ton, but you'd have to give up something. And, you know, if the Knicks are looking to, you know, unload a couple guards, like they want to get rid of Kemba and stuff like that, maybe you could find a way to uh, flip THT for, for a Cam Reddish. So, so those, are the, those are the kind of things that I think would fill the void of what you're saying and what I'm saying, because we're both kind of in agreement on, you know, the same issues, the same things we need to fix. And I think all those guys check most of those boxes. Yeah. Uh, I want to read a little quote here that, um, you know, I had actually read a couple of weeks ago. It was in a Bleacher Report article uh-huh. titled how LA Lakers mismanaged their way from champs to chumps. Oh, so clever. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, Bleacher Report article by Eric Pincus or Pinkus, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric, yeah, Eric Pinkus. Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. Okay, so this is this is a quote from that article. The franchise should have placed a greater value on continuity. Instead, defensive-minded coach Frank Vogel was given a roster that didn't fit his style. The Lakers handed him an older, slower roster with shooters who struggled to defend and defenders who struggled to shoot and a lead guard who neither defends nor shoots. I think that, like, literally, like, reading that, I was like, that literally sums up our entire season right then and there. With the exception of, instead of saying the Lakers handed him an older roster, I, w- I will put the Lakers slash LeBron handed him okay. an older, slower roster. But that's just me. But Of course. Of course what that's is- just you. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not a secret. Everybody knows that LeBron had a hand in putting this together. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, no, he's right. I mean, obviously the pieces didn't fit, but he's not mentioning the, the, the health. That's obviously a factor because, look, at the end of the day, no, I'll be honest with you. Look, at the end of the day, maybe the Lakers lose in the second round or something, right? Because they don't have the right roster. But I ha- LeBron and Anthony Davis missed almost 70 games. So if they play more, you know, if they play the majority of the season and maybe you get something out of Kendrick Nunn, who literally got nothing out of, the Lakers are probably, you know, at least, uh, at least in the playoffs, right? Well, they're like, they're, they're, they're like come fifth, on, we're, fourth, we're already, fifth seed. We're already at the end of the season now, and you know that everyone's poked holes in that theory already because everybody's had just as many injuries. The Suns, the Grizzlies, uh, all these guys, the Warriors have all had yes. just as just not significant as, injuries. Not as, a, not hold, as many, but close, but close. Well, My point, Kobe, hold on, hold on. As many, as My many. My point that, is, if healthy we probably make the playoffs and you're right maybe we lose anyways but at least we are a little better we're at least a team that is something rather than nothing and in the end maybe it doesn't work because you're right those were issues the guys they brought in that they thought were going to make threes didn't make threes the guys they thought were going to defend couldn't defend or vice versa so yeah it didn't work ultimately in the end and that's why you have to make those corrections and, and bring in the pieces that we're talking about. Maybe. All right. So anyway, let's get to the next topic. I think we, we've already exhausted enough time on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there'll be plenty of time to talk Lakers, obviously. What did, yeah. What did you, what did you think of episode seven of winning time? Oh man. 
Um, I, th- I thought it was great. Uh, episode seven might be my favorite episode so far. Um, because? Has, what? Because? The count. Hey, we had a count sighting. Um, to me, I feel like it had the perfect balance of, of everything. It had comedy. It had drama. It had action, you know, since we got to see Magic Johnson, Larry Bird show down, you know. Um, so I, I loved it. Uh, that opening scene uh, revolving around Monopoly, to me, was hilarious hilarious uh when when, you know when they have a a bloodied coach mckinney reading his car to the screen you know Mm -hmm. like coach falls off bike go back 10 (laughs) yeah (laughs) like that's hilarious like like how do they even come up with this you know uh me and esme were cracking up um the the introduction to the boston garden and norm nixon you know riling up all the new guys about the leprechaun and then they put the little like leprechaun on the screen you know hilarious well you gotta Uh, love the the theme of the episode right f boston (laughs) yeah yeah of course of course and and it's it's kind of funny it's it's almost fitting because you know we're coming off this this game one of the nets versus boston with Kyrie and Kyrie. now we learned today that he was buying 50 grand for you know his his antics uh you know flipping the boston fans and all that so yeah i mean nothing has changed yeah yeah nothing's changed uh, uh i was a little surprised to see you know like obviously on the show the lakers coming down uh you know stairs and everyone's like oh f you guys f this f that you yeah. know and they're going crazy it's it's probably been the same way all these years you know i, I i've never been to uh boston period and i've never had the pleasure of uh you know interacting with any of their fans but man it, it'd probably be wild you know uh but it was an awesome episode um i enjoyed it um jerry west of course had his hilarious parts uh <laughs> flipping flipping the middle finger to the limo driver from the back seat i thought was hilarious you know so uh i think two of the best scenes from not only that episode last night uh or on sunday night i'm sorry but possibly from the whole show i think would be kareem's interaction with magic's dad at the dinner table you know mm-hmm. at magic's house yep and uh and and pat riley's hotel altercation with paul westhead yeah. i thought was was awesome as well uh both those scenes were were dramatic they were nicely shot acting was brilliant yeah i think it was definitely better than maybe like the last couple of weeks because like you said it had a little more uh action in it uh i think every episode's got drama because let's just be honest it's hbo i mean that's that's right that's right. the whole you know <laughs> shtick of the series is everything is going to be dramatic everything is going to yeah. be you know and they even tell you everything is dramatized for the sake of of, yep. of this of this show but it's okay. We know it's, we know it's over dramatized, but it makes it more enjoyable. Yeah. And um, you're right. I, I love the, the scene with Kareem and, and magic's dad. I thought that was, I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I thought Jerry, to me, like we talked about this, uh, Jerry West character just is the, st- is the scene stealer, right? Every yeah. single, he just steals every single scene he's in. I, 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 I want a I want a Jerry West spinoff. <laughs> I, <want. laughs> I don't think you felt that way in the beginning because the first like episode or two episodes, I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm only watching this because of Jerry West right now. And yeah. then like he got died off for a few episodes for me, and you like all of a sudden like revamped him. Like you know, I just felt like yeah, he's been he's been the funniest one so far. His you know little one liners and just no, his hot headedness. Hilarious. Uh, well, even the scene you talked about in the limo, uh, you thought the scene at the end where he flips him off is funny. 
I thought in the beginning when he's like, listen, and he rolls the thing down and the guy's a Boston fan and in the, in the beginning, he's of course, right? Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Right? I thought that was... Of course, this is a setup. Yeah, he thinks the limo I, I driver's all that set up. Was the best. I thought that was the funniest part in the limo. The season one can basically be year one, right? And then season two could be year two. So they, they have a lot of different ways they could they could draw it out, you know? But uh, I do have a question for you, Anthony. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, l- let me ask you this. Uh, so again, once the credits were over on this one, uh, it went into Rick Fox's little interview, you know, that he had with uh, uh, at this this time it was with the producer, with uh, the guy playing Kareem, and uh-huh. this time with Pat Pat Riley's character Adrian Brody. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, first of all, did you see it? I did not watch it. Oh, okay. So, but anyways, that's beside the point because this is how I feel. We all we we obviously know that. Um, you know, the Lakers players and, you know, everyone in the organization. Well, I don't know about everyone, but most of the people in the organization are not thrilled with this uh, series. And uh, yeah, they don't like the way they're being depicted. I think I even showed you another article and there's plenty of articles out there. Right. Nobody likes, you know, the way they're being depicted. Right. So I find it interesting that Rick Fox, of all people who I guess, well, he's a former Celtic. So, you know, you know, you can't take nothing away from that. But uh, Rick Fox, who was, uh, you know, pretty important Laker for a couple of years. There. I think he won on the first three, right? With yep. us. Yep. And he has three titles with the Lakers, who's a pretty prominent figure in, in Laker nation is, yep. you know, uh, a part of these interviews at the end. He seems to be enjoying them. He's happy. He's laughing. He, you know, digs deep with these actors into, you know, their depictions of the actual players. Do you think that that's interesting that, Rick Fox, where all these other players and all these other uh, guys in the organization are against it. Rick Fox is kind of rolling with it and he's okay with it. What, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I don't dig as deep with it as you do. I think that one, Rick Fox was not part of that time period. So it's totally oh, yeah. different. And then yeah. two, Rick Fox has always fancied himself an actor, right? He always wanted to get into acting. He's done a bunch of acting. So mm-hmm. I think that it's just an opportunity for him to you know use his ability as a laker and as an actor to just do something that he probably enjoys and is probably you know fun to do because he that's that's one of the things he wanted to do he wanted to act and he has act acted so 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 i just i just think it's that simple i don't i don't i don't so you don't think anybody in the organization genie anybody that's against this has any like hard feelings with Rick Fox right now because he's doing this because he's part of the show? At all? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I guess you, I, I, I mean, I see where you're, I, I see where you're coming from. I personally don't think so, but I guess you could make that argument, but I mean, yeah, I, I feel I, it's, like, I don't, it's not like Rick Fox came and played one season, like a, like a Matt Barnes. Or no, something. I a, know. But I mean, it's like, he you was think, a, he was okay, a but you think like James like, Worthy wouldn't talk to him. Is that what you're saying? Like you think like, you think like Cooper wouldn't talk to him because yeah, I kind, of, I kind of do feel like that. Like, I, like, I like is Rick Fox yeah, like cutting know. his ties from everyone in the organization to do this with everybody? Because I, here's the okay. So, so let me follow up. Let me follow it up with this. Um, so there's this. They call me Magic Show on on Apple TV Plus, right? It's, yeah, I think I think it's coming out the twenty second. 
I know you're you're excited about this, and we all have been seeing on social media that Magic's out there. He's at the premiere. He's oh, got yeah. now he's, he's got Kareem out there. He's got all the Laker legends. He's got Norman yep. Nixon. Everybody's yep. turning up for the They Call Me Magic show, yep. but nobody wants to be a part of this show. And well, I just think it's yes. funny, especially right now that that they're coming out together at the same time. It's almost like like Magic is trying to outcompete this show, which is going to be hard now because now they're going to do two seasons. And I think clearly. The Lakers fan base, even though right or wrong, I think they're more uh, caught up in this, uh, in, you know, in winning time than they're probably going to be with They Call Me Magic. But that's well, my, my no, you're right. You're right. And of course, they're coming out to support, because if you remember, we talked about this, you know, a few weeks back that when this winning time thing was was dropping, that they were all doing it right. Jeannie is doing her show that's going to be coming on Netflix sometime yeah. this year or next year. Magic's yeah. four-part documentary drops, you know, this weekend. So, yeah, they're all now kind of trying to capitalize, you know, while the market is hot, so to speak. And also, they want to tell their own side of the story because, you know, they don't like the way they're being depicted. So Magic's yeah, they're like, all, they're, well, they're all a bunch of Scotty. You're people. gonna put, yeah, you're gonna put out your show <laughs> saying that saying that I'm just this great basketball player who was an awful individual. And I'm going to put on my show to combat that. That's going to show that I was not as bad as you say, or whatever. So I, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's par for the course. It's, it's the last, the last dance comes out and Scotty Pippen's got a book that comes out too. Yep. You know? I mean, everybody's <laughs> got a, and especially now because we live in this world of sports and social media where, if if you don't tell your story, someone's going to tell it for you. So if you don't like the way they're telling it, then you have to say something fair or unfair. Yeah, no, I agree. So I agree. Well, I just want to get your opinion on that because I, you know, something I thought about, I was like, man, like for all these people that were pissed about, you know, this winning time series, Rick Fox, one of the, one of the, you know, great champions of the Lakers is out here doing it like no, nobody's business, like no problem, you know? Yeah. So. Like I said, I don't read into it as much as you do, but who knows? <laughs> so on that note, we'll call it a day and uh, we'll hit you guys back up uh, next week, of course, with another exciting edition of the Matter of Stats podcast. Until then, please uh, listen to us, download us, follow us on uh, Apple Podcasts, follow us on uh, Spotify, Instagram, Twitter. Give us some likes. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Peace.